0: I want you to go back to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. And I'll conclude this series I would preached a week ago uh, on Sunday morning uh, about out of the book of Ezra and related that to what happens here with the measuring of the temple of God. And we measured the house of God. Then on that Sunday night, we measured the altar. Let's go back to Revelation 11.1 and to refresh your memory, this is the account of the tribulation temple that will be built and as it is constructed, reconstructed I should say, it will be present in the tribulation period and God gives John this direct command. And it says in verse one, and there was given me a reed like unto a rod and the angel stood, saying, "Rise and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein." So, on last uh, the last series of sermons, we've talked about measuring the house of God, measuring the altar, and if you realize uh, the fact that every piece of furniture in the tabernacle and temple could sit down inside of that altar. And it was the place of repentance and that no person's ark can be any bigger than their altar. So what is visible of the presence of God, the presence of God will never be any bigger in our life than the time we spend in prayer talking to God. But now we come down to measuring them that worship in the house of God. So he says also you need to measure the worshipers. Now, I have to admit, this was somewhat more of a struggle for me because how do you measure the worship in the house of God? How do do we get to the place that we can put down a rod and say, is he just referring to the height of the people there? No, I, I don't believe that's how he measured them. Was he referring just to the the exclamations that they were making and the exhortation they were giving or the adoration they had for God? Is that what he was meant? No, I think it's more than that. In order to measure a worshiper, you measure a worshiper by worship. The worship tells us where the worshiper is at. If you really wanna tell your life Uh, where it's at with the Lord, you can always tell a person by the way they worship. And I'm not talking about just inside of these four walls, even though he measured them inside the house of God, their worship inside the house of God. He's not talking about what just goes on inside God's house. A true worshiper, worships the Lord as Jesus commanded in John chapter four when he met the woman at the well and he said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And God seeketh such to worship him. So if really you're worshiping God, worship didn't start when you got here tonight. Worship should have been a part of your week already. Worship should be more than just a routine or a ritual and worship will end when you leave this place. But if you really wanna see how you're doing as an individual and you wanna see how a church is doing, all you have to do is look at their worship. Now I've been amazed to me a week ago Sunday morning was one of those unique services where the presence of God filled his house in such an unusual way, that any time you have 400 people to 500 people up at the altar praying at the same time, that's unusual. Worshiping God, that's unusual. But do you know we'll have people that'll never be back to this church? Because of worship. We're now at a point where the people no longer want worship. A lot of people don't like worship, but all I can say is as long as I'm here, get used to it because I think that we're at our finest when we worship God. And not only that, but I'm practicing for the time when I'll get to be with the Lord in a wonderful place called heaven. And then we'll be able to worship him the way we really wanna worship him with a new body, a glorified body that won't be restricted in any way, but we'll be able to worship him with all of our might through the endless ages and we'll never get tired and nobody will ever be in a hurry and we'll be in that place with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever ever and ever, and the praises will roll forevermore as we worship him in spirit and in truth. So why wouldn't someone wanna worship God? Well, I think the reason why is because maybe it's looked at through, through the wrong perspective. See, uh, a lot of people, the way that they look at worship they look at worship just at the noise that's made, but it's deeper than that. Some people, they look at it as though, well, it's just in seasons. It comes just occasionally, but that's not true either. If we do that, we're in serious trouble because God wants us to continually praise him and worship him. You know, uh, I I heard an account uh, and I, I suppose it probably portrayed real worship to the Lord as much as anything that I've read. A lady talked about her birthday. She was somewhat dreading her birthday because she was hitting one of those milestone birth dates that a lot of people say, when you hit that, you know, everything's downhill after that. And her mother and her brother decided to take her to her favorite restaurant to eat. And after that they ate, her brother said, I've got a special gift for you. And she said it was just a small bag and inside something inside the bag. And she realized it was a picture frame. And she got it out. And on that, he had listed and had a header on there, 29 reasons why you're the best sister ever. And she said, out of all the pictures in my house, she said, that means more than anything. Because whenever I feel down, whenever I feel discouraged, all I have to do is just go and look at that and know that I am loved and the reasons are listed why I am loved. Do you know at the end of this service tonight, I wonder if God's gonna say about us, You know what you did? You gave me a list of things to frame in heaven as to why that you love me and why I'm the best God that anybody could ever have because in our worship, that's exactly what we're doing. We're telling God how great that he is, how wonderful that he is, how thrilled that we are that we get to live for him and we get to come to a place where that we can worship him in spirit and in truth. But be assured, just as sure as God loves our worship, the devil hates our worship. I started in the service on Sunday dealing a little bit out of 2 Kings in the sixth and seventh chapter. And you remember in that I dealt some with what was happening in the prophet Elisha's life. but we went through about the first half of the sixth chapter, but when you get to the middle of that sixth chapter, you'll find that there's a sudden change that occurs. The Bible says in verse 24, and it came to pass after this that ben king of Syria gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. So what he did, he said, I'm going to surround them. You know, the devil doesn't always attack. He doesn't always attack us. Sometimes what he does, he just surrounds us. And he says, what I'm gonna surround you for is I'm gonna cut off your supply. And if I cut off your supply, then that will hinder you from being what God wants you to be. And when he did that, there was already a famine in the land and the famine worsened. And if you read this chapter, and I don't mean to be too graphic in all of it, but yet, you know, that's why I love the word of God. It's down to earth and it's easy to understand. The famine got worse. It started getting so bad that soon the food supply ran out. What if you never tasted of the bread of life? And what if God never fed you spiritually? How would you be? That's what he did. He just cut off the supply. He said, if I go long enough, they'll finally get to the place that they'll yield to me because I've cut off their supply. And he'd love to get every one of us, when you start worshiping the Lord, you're gonna be challenged by the enemy that he's gonna surround you and he's gonna gonna get this in mind. I'll just cut off. The love of God, the presence of God. I'll make them think that God doesn't care for them. Now, we know he can't do that, but he wants to make us think that he can. So when he does all of this, they cut it off. It got so bad that they had nothing to eat. So the first thing they did was they started selling donkey's heads, 80 pieces of silver for a donkey's head. That's desperate, man, I've eaten a lot of things, but I can't imagine eating donkey's head. What could you get off of a donkey's head? And not only did they sell donkey's head, but to make matters worse, they they sold a quarter of a cab of dove's dung. That's a cup, a cup of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. So people were paying a high price for something that normally would have been worthless. Do you know when when you need real revival, do you know how you can tell if you need real revival? When we lose a sense of what's valuable and we've just about gotten to the place where we no longer sense what's really valuable in life. And they were in a place where they needed God to help them and God to refresh them and God to revive them. And you can always tell when you need to return to worship again, because the first thing that'll happen is you'll get hard-headed, a donkey's head, and your doctrine will stink. Dove's dung. Let's get this right. Dove's dung is not where the dove is. Dove's dung is where the dove has been. In other words, you can't live on past blessings. The dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit in the word of God. And I'm glad God blessed me last Sunday and blessed our church. But may I remind you, he's the same God on a Wednesday night that he was on Sunday morning. He'll be God tomorrow morning. He'll be God on Friday. He'll be God on Saturday. He'll be God this coming Sunday. He's trying to tell you, yes, the devil, surrounded you. He's trying to cut everything off. But remember this, the Lord says, go ahead and praise me anyway, worship me anyway. I've got it all under control. I'm gonna take care of all of it. And he said, I'm gonna meet your needs and overcome the enemy. The enemy can't cut you off. I don't know how it got started, but I hate the theology now that is presenting the rapture as though it's a rescue mission for a trapped church. You might feel trapped and you might feel like you're the underdog and you might feel like the world's winning out. I told someone coming out of one of the meetings a minute ago out in the hallway, I said the world is a rat race and sometimes we feel like the rats are winning. And you may feel like everything is bad and everything is against you. Have you ever had one of those kind of days? I had one today. Everything the devil could stack up, he stacked up. But you know what I decided to do? I think I'll just go to church and preach anyway. And I think I'll leave that all behind for a little while and go to a place where I can sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And before long, we understand God is finished than all of our problems, all of our troubles, all of our trials. Oh, he is worthy of all of our praise. He surrounded them, but they didn't win the battle. The king said to the prophet, what shall we do? The prophet said, don't worry. By this time tomorrow, all you have today is donkey head and doves dung. But by this time tomorrow, you'll be able to buy a measure of wheat, fine flour for just a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel. In other words, it's gonna be a better deal in the end than you could ever imagine. Things are gonna be better than you could ever think of. By this time tomorrow, I guess that's what bothers me when when I think about so many people that battle with suicide. And I deal with a lot of people that battle with that and I talk to them and I always seem to tell them this, I don't know if it helps them or not, but it seems like it does. I always tell them, I said, you know, wouldn't it be a terrible thing if you took your life today and tomorrow was gonna be your turnaround? One day short would it be something to give up on God one day short of the answer coming and the miracle coming that God wants to bring into your life? Wouldn't it be terrible to just stop short of what God really had for us? And you know what? The one leader that he had, he said, oh, it can't happen. God won't open the windows of heaven. Yes, he will open the windows of heaven. But the key is if you can't praise God when you're surrounded by the enemy, you won't praise God when you get the victory. And the victory Will be short-lived, but you pay high enough price to be able to see God do something and you know the struggle that you had to get to where you are. You're gonna say, I'm not gonna give that up. I fought too hard for that blessing. I'm not gonna surrender that one. God gave that to me and I'm not giving it up. Sometimes, We've gotta see ourselves like Gideon saw himself. He started with 32,000, God said, tell all of them that's afraid to go back home. He lost 22,000 at one time. That'd be a pretty big hit to a church. Lost two thirds of his crowd. God said, you still have too much. He said, call them down. He said, Lord, how will I know which ones to choose? He said, well, everyone that kneels down to drink the water. He said, set them aside. But the ones that take their hand, cut their hand and put the water to their mouth and lap it like a dog. He said, that's the ones you want. There were 300 that did that. So he cut down from 32,000 to 300 to face an army. Now, why would God tell him to get men that were using their hands to, to drink water, lapping it up with their tongue like a dog? That's the image that you get from scripture when you read it in Judges chapter seven. And I, Can I tell you, there's a couple reasons why I think, number one, the others, they knelt down and they drank, but they didn't cut their hands and get the water. First of all, the ones God chose had clean hands. They're holding the water. And second of all, if they cup their hands to get the water, that means they didn't have their hand on their weapon. They had to lay their weapon down. They couldn't have held their weapon because they were using their hands to cup for water to be able to drink. And God says, that's the ones I want, why? Because God said that we don't need carnal weapons sometimes. When we go to face the enemy, our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of stronghold. And God said, they're spiritual. And he said, what I want is I want somebody that'll say, i want to let God fight this battle for me. And by the time they get there, they hear as he goes in, he hears the men talking. One of them said, I had a dream. And this barley cake came in, can you imagine? Isn't that barley, the cheapest to feed, the poorest of the poor, ate barley, telling us that God doesn't need the high and the mighty. All God needs is the lowest. If you're willing to surrender yourself, God can use you as a tool in His hand to do mighty things and mighty work. And that barley came in and did the job. And He said, "Now this is what you do. Get in. You go back and you tell those three hundred all they need. They just need to do three things. All they need is a pitcher and." They 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 need a light inside the pitcher and they need a trumpet. That's all that they need. If you have those three things, God didn't tell them get your spear and get your sword. God didn't tell them to get any other weapon. God didn't say grab a knife. God said all you gotta have is a pitcher and a light inside of it. You gotta be able to hold light and they've gotta be willing to break the pitcher and then they've gotta be willing to sound the trumpet. Do you know what God is saying? First of all, I want people that the light is inside of them. They're not walking in darkness. There's glorious light inside of them to direct their steps. And he said, not only do they have the light, but they're willing to let the picture be broken that the light can go out. And then after they're broken, then the trumpet sounds. They've got to yield to praise. The trumpet is a sound of victory. The trumpet is their way of saying, God has heard my prayer and God has helped me. I think it's interesting, maybe things I find interesting you don't, but I hope it helps you, but you know, you hear me talk a lot about the law of first mention. The law first mentioned. simply put in Bible study, when something is mentioned the first time in your Bible, you'll find out that it carries that same thought and same meaning throughout all of the Word of God. So if you go back to the beginning, see where it's used first, then it carries that same thought all the way through. And we hear constantly, people will pray, people will testify, songs will be sung about the Lord, opening the windows of heaven. Open the windows of heaven. Pour me out a blessing. Don't you hear that? Well, the first time that's mentioned is in Genesis chapter seven and verse 11. But if you look at Genesis seven, 11, you're gonna find out something goes along with the windows of heaven being open. That's the first time we read where God opened the windows of heaven. But something else had to happen before the windows were open. The fountain of the deep was broken up. So it took a breaking for the windows to open up. See, that's where we measure our worship. If your worship only comes about when something good is happening to you, it's not much. But now let everything go the wrong way. And let all the news be bad. And let the trials continue to come. And as it comes, you still say the Lord is good and he's wonderful and he's he's more wonderful than I can put into words and you still continue to praise him when everything has come against you when you're broken in body when your life is broken you praise God and worship him anyway when the fountain of the deep is broken you're still saying Lord I bless your name and you know how he responds the windows of heaven open up and he pours us out a blessing the question is can't we Worship in our brokenness. Oh, we'll worship when prayers are answered. What do we do if the answer hasn't come yet? What do you do while you're waiting on the answer? You worship. You worship. Now, I'm gonna ask you, don't don't answer out loud. (laughs) Through your time here at this church, and I know every service we have visitors, and I'm thankful for the visitors that come in, but those of you that this is your home church or you've attended here long enough that you consider this to be your home church, my question is this, If you measure your worship, would you say, I worship the Lord more now than I did a year ago or two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago? Do I really worship him more or do I worship him less? The angel's given us a rod. And all I am accountable for as a worshiper is my worship to the Lord. But I can make you this promise. Nothing good has to happen in my life for me to worship God. Nothing good. That's not the catalyst of my worship. I worship God for who he is. Not just for what he's done. And as you worship God for who he is, guess what? He'll do greater things for you. He opens the windows of heaven and pours it out on us. And the more he pours it out on us, the sweeter it gets. Worship him. Worship him. Take just a moment, bow your heads throughout the sanctuary. They're coming with a song. Take just a moment from your heart, your own way. Well, they're coming, getting ready to sing. If you're here tonight in this service, in your own way as a believer. Will you take just a minute from your heart and just tell the Lord how wonderful he is. How good he is. How precious that he is to you. Will you take a moment and thank him? Thank him for what he has made available to us. Is everything the way you want it, preacher? No. Are all your prayers answered? No. Have you seen him do everything you've asked? Not yet. But that doesn't mean that I don't love him. And he is worthy of all the worship that we could ever offer to him.